Amen. Thank you, Kyle and Joseph. Brought a second bottle of water because I'm going to talk for two hours this service. Buckle up, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I actually got the privilege of going to Camp Kids Life this year for the first time ever. Got to participate in some skits. Get to know the fifth graders coming to sixth grade um, because I am on the next-gen team. I'm in the, the student space of the next-gen team. If you haven't met me, I'm Peter. But also, if you've never been to Sharp Top Cove, quick little plug, in September, our youth are going, our students, our middle school and high school for what we call the weekend. So if you've never been up there, if you can come for just a weekend, as Joseph said, this is the weekend to come to. We need people, always. Um, Next Gen is super important, and it is the future church. So if you can come, we would love it. But it was a lot of fun. Um, like I said, my name's Peter. If you're first time here, I'm not usually who's speaking on Sundays. It's usually our lead pastor, Brian. But through the summer, we do a series amongst the whole Grace family of churches. So some of our lead pastors move around and talk at other churches, and it gives us an opportunity to teach and for you guys to hear some different voices. So we're going to be continuing in our series of 40 stories. Contrary to popular belief, it's not 40 different stories. It's stories that center around the number 40. I know it can be confusing. Uh, but I'm really excited about this series because 40 is how old Grace family of churches is, and that's why we're doing it. And this is a, this is a transition period. 40 stands for transformation in the Bible. Um, we see from an old Hebrew or Jewish lens um, in the Talmud, actually. So if you don't know what the Talmud is, it's, it's an ancient Jewish law. So the Pharisees had the law of Leviticus. Pharisees weren't only religious leaders. They were actually political leaders. For the Hebrew people And so they would write out laws Based off of Leviticus And wrote it all down In what we call the Talmud So there's all kinds of rules And regulations and laws And some of my favorites are 40 is actually The uh, number of seis Or seas of water that you use In the mikvah Which is a cleansing ceremony If you're unclean To enter the temple Or to get back to clean You have to go through A cleansing process Called the mikvah so, once again, transformation, those 40 seas of water. Um, we've got 40 days is how long they think it takes it for an embryo to be formed. Um, now, we have science that tells us otherwise or, or whatever you want to say, but 40 is about when you would start to see symptoms of pregnancy. So they believe that at 40 days, that's when the embryo was formed. One of my favorites is actually the 40 lashes, which are kind of famous. You know, like, Jesus got 40 minus 1. He got 39 lashes on his way to the cross. That was actually a Jewish law, because 40 is meant to bring people to transformation. 40 whips, 40 lashes to bring people to the point and the brink that they need to change and become something new. So 40 is very important to the Jewish people. In fact, 40 is actually the age in which you have ears to hear and a mind to know. So if you're younger than 40, you need to leave because you don't know what I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. If that were true, I wouldn't be up here. So uh, what I do love about that is it's not about the age of 40. It's about the leading up to the age of 40. It's about everything you experience that leads you to where you have ears to hear and a mind to know. It's not about the end goal. It's about the journey. We start somewhere and we end somewhere, but what about the in-between? The 40 days, the 40 years, whatever that looks like. There's an in-between period. We have to decide what to do with it because while it is a period of transformation and we're going from somewhere old to somewhere new, the new place we go can be bad or good. There's a lot that can happen in the interim 
to lead you to a right place or a wrong place. And that's what we're going to get into today. If you'll flip with me to Numbers, Numbers 13. We shared from Lamentations, and now we're getting into Numbers. Everyone's like, oh, wow, that's a boring day at church. But it's very important. So in Numbers 13, as you guys are flipping, I've been really enjoying studying this. I've been really enjoying digging into this because I'm in a waiting period myself right now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes. I'm in a waiting period because me and my wife are expecting our first child. She is pregnant. Yes. She's due in October, October 11th, so we're super excited about it and so ready for it. It's something we've been praying into fervently. It's something we've been asking the Lord for, asking God to bring into our lives. We feel like he's leading us into it, and we had this moment of celebration of, yes, the test is, it's so positive, and we're so excited. And then a week went by, and I was like, nothing's changed. It's all the same. It probably wasn't for Addie, my wife, but there's this weird, like, okay, now what? What do we do now? And then as we sit there, I start to think about the process of birth, and your doctor gives you all these milestones that they want you to go through. Like, when you hit this point, you've got a 60% more likely chance that you'll carry the term, and 70% more likely, and 80% more likely. And then, oh, this is where you should start feeling it kick, and this is what's going to happen here. And then you start to think about what's going to actually happen in the birth and all of the trauma that goes with that and everything that your wife's going to go through. And then even past that, into parenthood. I don't know what sleepless nights are going to look like. I don't know. All of this starts to creep in And in this waiting period As we're waiting for this child to come All I can think about is these little tiny speed bumps That are on the way These little tiny fears That can direct my thought patterns And my psychology And it will ruminate And it will change the way I'm thinking And that's what we're going to talk about today So if you're in Numbers 13 Say, got it I forgot to mention, if you didn't have a Bible, we've got some for you. Throw up a hand. They probably already did their thing because they're awesome. We've got a lot of scripture and not a lot of time, so bear with me. I'm going to try to read fast, but still slow enough to understand. So, Numbers chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemwa, the son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Saudi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vophsi. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Maki. There were the names of the men who Moses sent out to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. 
That'll be important in a minute. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron, Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai. The descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan of Egypt. Cool. Cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eskol, because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in it are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So, we sit in this waiting. The spies came and sat for 40 days. They walked into the promise that God had for them, this land flowing with milk and honey, that they had spent generations wandering, wandering the desert trying to find, trying to get to, and they're literally sitting in it. And we sit in the waiting of the Lord and think, this, this is taking a while. This is a struggle. And in as simple a time as 40 days, we believe an eternal God has forgotten us. We believe he's forgotten his promises, that he can't deliver us from the challenges that are set before us. Because we had this expectation, this anxiety brewing for generations of what the promised land is going to look like. When we get there, we say, is this it? Are we sure? Because there's a lot of big people here. It doesn't feel like our land. I don't know if we can, we can take these people. In 40 days... You can transform in a good way or a bad way, like we were talking about. You can let your fear fester for 40 days. And these spies, they see these giant people and all of these, these tribes of people that are so strong, and they sit in their fear. And for 40 whole days, all they can think about is their fear. And so what I brought this whiteboard out for is because we're going to talk about fear a lot today. We're going to talk about what we do with fear. It is always going to be there. We can't ignore it or run from it. There will always be fear. But what are you letting it do? When you let it ruminate, fear turns into doubt. These people start to doubt that this is the promised land. They doubt that God is with them. They doubt they can take the land. Because of that doubt, they start to believe lies. They start telling themselves, God's not with us anymore. We've done something to anger him. God's not big enough to overcome the height of these people. And then from lies, what we get is entitlement. We think because God's not with us or God hasn't made it look the exact way we need to, 
we deserve it to look the way we want it to. We deserve the promised land to be exactly what we expected when we prepared for it for years. We expected no road bumps, no blocks, just a land full of fruit. And then entitlement ends up breeding insurrection, which also means rebellion. I apologize for my terrible handwriting. It leads to insurrection. If you read, if we keep reading in Numbers 13, chapter 30, and go through chapter 14, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. Doubt. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. Was the land bad? Lies. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are of great height. There we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. All the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in the wilderness? Entitlement. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Entitlement. And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt, insurrection or rebellion. What this says to me is actually the first point is fear is the most dangerous tool the enemy has. Because fear will always exist. Fear will always be there. It is the most dangerous tool the enemy has. And if you let it fester, it will lead you all the way to insurrection. It's where you're saying, I know better. I know, I know this is what God promised me, but I wanted this promise, and I know better, and I'm going to get it myself. In the waiting, we let the fear fester, and all we can focus on is the fear that we have. It's this thinking that actually kept them wandering the desert. If you know the rest of the story, and we'll read it here in a minute, God is so angry with the people. They're literally on the cusp. They're right there. They can see the promised land. We've sent people into the promised land to live for 40 days, and they come back and say, no, we can't do it. Their fear gets to them, and God says, fine, go wander once more. You're not ready. You can't trust me. After all that I've done for you, after everywhere that I've met you, why would I leave you at the cusp of the promises I have for you? There's a reason that the most common command of the Lord in the Bible is do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. I go before you. I am with you. We walk into all these defining moments and promises, literally in this case, the promise of generations of people. When you hit the promised land, when you hit the blessings, are you looking for blessings or are you looking for roadblocks? Do you, do you see the fruit or the giants? 
Are you living into the cluster of grapes that's big enough to be carried between two people back to your people? Or are you stuck looking at the people who inhabit it saying, that's too big for us to overcome? You're in a moment of blessing. We all are at this very moment. We're going to talk about it more in a minute. But we are all in a moment of blessing because we have the Holy Spirit. This is different than the Old Testament. The Lord has come and died so that he can live within us. We have the Holy Spirit. We are always in a moment of blessing. But can you see it? Or are you letting the fear dictate it? And what I think helps with this idea is looking at the why. This is something Jesus does all throughout the New Testament. And I think it's the only thing that's keeping us from becoming Pharisees. The Pharisees never looked at the why. They had the wetter of the word law. They took that, they expounded upon it, they got the Talmud, which we talked about earlier. They created all of these laws by the letter of the word. Jesus comes to complete the law, and he asks them, why do you think that is the law? Why? And the best example I can give is, is the Sabbath. They've created this law around the Sabbath. You can only take a certain amount of steps. When the disciples pick wheat because they are hungry and eat... They get reprimanded for it, and Jesus says, but why? Why do we have the Sabbath? It's to rest. It's not to create anxiety on Friday and Saturday so you have enough food for Sunday. It's not so that when your neighbor falls in a pit, you have an excuse to not help him. We have it to rest. If rest for me looks like picking some grain so I don't go hungry, so be it. So we always have to ask why. So when I was reading through this, the, the question that came to mind is, why is Canaan the promised land? Can anyone tell me? Why is Canaan the promised land? It flows with milk and honey. It's as simple as that. It flows with milk and honey. Why do you think it flows with milk and honey? The Lord made it flow with milk and honey. How did he do it? He spoke it. He put the giants there to cultivate the land. You don't get giant grapes without giant people and giant farmers. You don't. You don't get full pomegranates that can feed your tribe of people for a whole day without giant people who eat a whole pomegranate. The thing that you are fearing is literally the vehicle God is using to prepare your blessing. The fear that they have in these people is literally who God placed in this land to create a land that is flowing with milk and honey to prepare their blessing. The fear you have of anxiety around your finances that keep you in a dead-end job is what's holding you back from the blessing the Lord has for you when you step out and start your own business. The fear you have of losing a child is what's keeping you back from creating the next generation of believers to spread the kingdom so that one day this new earth will be new. What fear are you believing that is actually the making of your blessing, the making of what you have? And that is my second point. The things we fear are the very vehicles God is using to prepare our blessings. These giants are the only reason the spies are sitting in this land with its massive fruits. And you can't build your faith without breaking down the, own tr the trust you have in yourself. They're trusting themselves, and that's where the fear comes in. The fear festers because they're not big enough to handle it. But I know who is. 
So are we going to let this fear fester? Are we going to look at just the speed bumps and just the obstacles? We are wired to do that. We have fear that manifests as anxiety about the future. We are all anxious. All we see is, see is what, what we are afraid of that still stands before us. We can't see the forest through the trees. We can't see the blessing. We can't see the land for what it is. So if we know the fear is coming, we can't get rid of it. We know the fear is actually the vehicle God is using to bless us. It's what he's working out in our spirit. How do we get from fear to blessing and not to insurrection? If you look in Numbers 14, verses 5 and 10, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Juphanah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes a showing of grief in the Hebrew culture, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They literally say they are bread for us. They have come to create food for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence. And disinherit them. I will take this promised land away from them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. You see, what Caleb and Joshua know is that God has delivered them time and time again. That after all their wandering and sustaining, why would he lead them to the cusp and let them fail at the gates of the promise he has? They don't let the past feed their anxiety or, or feed their disappointment in the climax of the realization of the promise. They let their past be the reason that they can trust in the promise of the future. Woodrow Kroll says, the only known antidote to fear is faith. The only way to get from fear to blessing is actually through faith. So we take this fear, and we know we're scared of this thing because we can't handle it. But I know who can, God. I have faith that God will take us from there. And what's great about faith is that it actually breeds truth. Caleb and Joshua come and tell the truth. Guys, this land is exceedingly great. It is beyond your wildest imagination. Why would God... Lead us into the giants just to die. And then from that truth is bread a blessing. Joy. We can talk about examples of blessings that are worldly, the new house, the new car, my son that's coming. 
But the true blessing is joy. And that's what we get. And that's why we don't walk through this wilderness alone waiting on a blessing. Even in the wilderness, I have the joy of the Lord. Even in the wilderness, I have the blessing that God has promised me through his son on the cross. We have joy there. And we can be so joyful with it. Now, joy and happiness are almost indistinguishable. And this is something that I've learned throughout my life. So happiness is, it's circumstantial. It depends on what's going on. I'm happy about this. I'm happy about that. Joy is from your core. It is something that has a different source. And the only way to tell them apart in your life is you have to strip away everything that makes you happy and see what is left. The only way to know if you have the joy of the Lord is to remove everything that makes you happy and see what's left. But that's enough. That's the blessing that God has for us. It's a blessing he wants for us. And that's the third point. Our true blessing is joy in the Lord. And we can only get there if we turn our fears into faith in who he is and what he has done and believe the truth of who he says he is and who he is. And that leads us to the joy that we are in him and the joy that we have in him. And the reason that Caleb and Joshua can do this is because they look at the wilderness. They look at their past, and they see where God has been faithful. And everyone has a wilderness. Everyone's wilderness is different. We talked about the sun that we have coming in October, and we're super excited about. But when I start to get afraid, I look at my wilderness. And for us, the wilderness was a miscarriage. And this isn't a commentary on miscarriages. It's not a commentary on what your wilderness is. Everyone has a different wilderness. I'm not trying to deplete your wilderness or the trauma that comes from it, but that was our wilderness. The worst of the worst that could happen, happened. And guess who's still here? God is still here. God is still with me, and I still have the joy of the Lord. And I don't share this, church, hear me. Let me get on eye level. I don't say this so that after this you find me and say, I'm so sorry. That must have been so hard. Don't apologize for the story God's writing. Not on my life. I don't want that. There's a time for mourning. There's a time for grief. If you're going through this, if you're experiencing it, if you are in mourning and you are in grief, please come and find us. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray over you. There's community that needs that. But we're past the mourning and grief. And even if we didn't have a child, because I know there's people who have miscarriages and don't get blessed with a child later on like we do, and my heart hurts for you, but I will not apologize. Because the true blessing is not my child, it's joy. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the joy of who he is and what he is writing into my spirit and writing into my heart. That is the true blessing that we have. And it actually, it reminds me of this, there's this tribe in Africa that was just recently found, and their spatial reasoning is completely different than ours. It's so cool. So if I were standing like this and I was talking to you about the future, which way would I point? In front. Moving into the future. We are walking into the future. If I was talking about the past, I would talk about behind me. I talk with my hands a lot. You guys have seen it a lot. <laughs> past is behind me. This tribe in Africa, they see the future behind them in the past before them. And you're like, that's so wrong. What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. 
But the way they see it is that they, they can see the past. Everything that has happened in their past, they can see. The future is still unknown. They are walking backwards into everything. They are walking backwards, and the only way to know what's behind them is in reference to what's ahead of them. So if I'm walking on this stage, and I'm walking backwards, and I get really close to the edge, I'm going to slow down and probably come to a stop before I fall off. I don't know where the stage ends. It's behind me. But in reference to that piano, I know it's probably about four feet. In reference to this microphone, I know it's probably about three feet. The only way I can know what lies in my future is in reference to my past, and God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. And we actually see this in Joshua. If you'll flip with me to Joshua 3. We're going to be in verses 14 through 17. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The water coming down from above stood, rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. People passed over the opposite of Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. This is when Israel finally gets to enter the Promised Land. And God does something really cool here. That I want to point out. So if I get everyone under the age of 14, right here, come on up. If you are under the age of 14, right here, I literally, I know what age you are. I'm the youth pastor, come on. I know you people. If you are under the age of 14, come here. I promise, it's not scary. It's going to be okay. Yes, come on up. If you are under the age of 14, come meet me right here. I didn't check with the sound people, so we'll see if this feedbacks at all. Um, okay, let's see. I've got five. There's only five? Some people are lying about their age in here. Okay, so let's do... You guys are going to be my Israelites, Hannah and Ben. You guys are going to be my Israelites going into uh, the wilderness. So you're going to come over here. You're going to stand right here for me just for a second. You guys are going to be my Israelites in the wilderness, so come on over here just right there. Boom. Okay, um, we're going to make Ben Moses, okay? This is Ben. He's Moses. We're walking. We're walking. We're walking. We're leaving Egypt. Yay. Say yay. Okay. So Ben, who is Moses, is going to plant his staff right here, and it does what? Parts the sea. Parts the water. The water is broken, okay? So can I get you on your knees here, actually? You're going to be in the water, so you're lower. Perfect. And Hannah goes, yay! Yeah, so she is excited because he parted the waters. Now, these Israelites who are in the wilderness, you guys are walking in the wilderness, and you stop right here, and the presence of the Lord is no longer in Moses' staff, but you create the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, okay, so you're going to be the Ark of the Covenant. Can I get you on your hands and knees? Thanks. 
So, once we're in the wilderness, we can only follow the Ark of the Covenant everywhere. So, Alyssa, can you start going that way? Yeah, there's the Ark, and we're following the Ark. Keep going. <laughs> and stop. We come to a river. What do we do? The Ark of the Covenant gets in the river. So, hands and knees, please, madam. Perfect. And so we as Israelites are like, oh, we followed the ark. The water's passed. This passage says we go through the river and come to this side. Come on over. So up until now, we've been following the ark of the covenant. It is now behind us. And what we have to do, because we only can follow the ark of the covenant, is once we get past, we have to sit, turn around, and look at the ark of the covenant and wait for it to pass so we can follow it some more. God is literally turning the backs of the people back to the wilderness. And we've got bookends here. We got where it began crossing the sea and where it ends crossing the Jordan. And we can see the entirety of the wilderness and God saying, look at what I have done for you. Walk backwards into the new future because you are seeing the past in my faithfulness. And in this passage, he literally has them raise an Ebenezer. That means a stack of rocks and they stack it right next to the river. And he says, every time your generation looks on it, tell them what happened. Tell them who I am and what I have done. We have to raise Ebenezer's before we can walk into the future. We have to celebrate our past and the faithfulness of God before we can walk into our future. Thanks, guys. Give them a round of applause. All of you under 14 that didn't come up here, I'm writing your names down. I've got them. Steel trap. My last point is you can only see the future in reference to the past. We're raising these Ebenezers, this faithfulness, and we have to raise this because we are so quick to forget. And without the remembrance, we can't come to a place of faith. Our fear turns to doubt. We have to have remembrances of his faithfulness, of who he is. We have to look back at our past and know that he has us in the future. And in a second, we're actually going to partake in the greatest Ebenezer we have in communion. We've got tables here. And when we start worshiping, it's a moment to not just come and drink of the cup and eat of the bread. It's a moment to remember the faithfulness of Jesus on the cross, his sacrifice to bring us true joy. And everything we walk through life, we can now walk through the lens of the cross, faith. And we know the truth of who God is and the truth of who he says he is and the promises he makes always come true and that will lead us to joy in the Lord, always. This is the lens we have to have. But we have to face our fear first. Our fear is still the vehicle. We have to go through the fear. But what's cool is, is God actually does this thing. He, he says he's the giver and the taker. So as we kind of transition into a time of worship, we're going to do something just slightly different. God is the giver and the taker. So if we have fear, what we can do is we can give it to him. We, he can take it from us, and then he will give us something in its place. He will take our fear and give us faith. He will give us truth. He will give us joy. And it may be all along the line. And like I said, if you feel like you're in your wilderness, God is still giving you joy. There is still truth in who God is. 
And the wilderness is hard, but it becomes so much easier when you know that God is your promised land. You're not on your way to something. You're in the middle of something. It's actually a quote I forgot to read that I think sums this up. Let's see if I can find it. Don't mind me. All right. A.W. Tozer has this quote, and it's so good. We habitually stand in our now and look back by faith to see the past filled with God. We look forward and see him inhabiting our future, but our now is uninhabited except for ourselves. Thus we are guilty of a kind of temporary atheism, which leaves us alone in the universe, while for the time God is not. We talk of him much and loudly, but we secretly think of him as being absent, and we think of ourselves as inhabiting a parenthetic interval between the God who was and the God who will be. And we forget the God who is. We are lonely with an ancient and cosmic loneliness, so we try by every method devised by religion to relieve our fears and heal our hidden sadness. But with all our efforts, we remain unhappy still. With the settled despair of men alone in a vast and deserted universe, but for all our fears, we are not alone. So look, we can look to the past all we want, we can look to the future all we want, but we're in the 40 days, guys. We're in the present, and so is the Lord. He has never left you nor forsaken you. And so in spirit of that, we're going to do a little bit of listening prayer. If you've never experienced this, it's a little bit of an exercise in imagination, but also an exercise in hearing from the Lord. So if everyone will close their eyes and bow their heads, what I want you to do is just imagine yourself in your favorite place of all time. Your favorite place that you have ever been that brings you joy, that brings you peace. And now sitting next to you, I want you to picture the ideal or perfect love. An unconditional love. However it's personified, however you view it, whatever it looks like. Because God is with us now, in this moment. He is in this room. He is sitting next to you. Now think of the biggest, darkest fear you have right now. Something you're walking into, something that's happening to you. The biggest fear you have. And imagine it. If you can't imagine it, ask, ask perfect love to show you. Now imagine yourself handing that over to perfect love. Say, Lord, please take this from me. Lord, I don't want this fear to fester. I don't want to doubt you. I don't want to doubt who you are. Take note of what he does with it or what your personification does with it. And now ask the Lord, what do you give me in return? He takes away and he gives. Imagine him handing you something. God, I pray that we can receive, that we can see what you have for us, that we can remove the fear of the situation and be bestowed upon the faith, the joy, the truth that you have for us, that you're speaking over us in this wilderness, that you're speaking over us in these 40 days. Take note of what he gives you.
God, we thank you for your ultimate blessing of your son as we remember him, as we raise this Ebenezer of faithfulness, the greatest of all time, to remember what you have for us and who you are. So just sit with perfect love for a little while. Experience it. As you feel led, partake in that Ebenezer, that that communion together with your family. Remember God's faithfulness and know it leads to more faithfulness. God, we thank you and we love you. We pray that you move today. In your holy name we pray, amen.